Welcome to Real Belief, the podcast exploring the wonders of cinema through the lens of religion. I'm your host, Xavier, and I'm joined by my co-host, Archie. Hello. Hello. I <laughs> I took that down as a note and I forgot to switch it around. You actually I thought you were just doing it as a joke. Did you actually goof? Yeah, yeah I actually goofed. Whoops. So welcome to this episode. Today we are talking about the exorcist the exorcist the grandpappy of religious horror movies well that's yeah. probably a lie but um i mean i feel like all the modern day demon type horror movies are they're they take heavy inspiration from the exorcist specifically anything else with exorcist or exorcism in its title it's like <laughs> the last exorcist the exorcism of emily rose uh something else exorcist i can't remember the name of there's like a bunch of other things called exorcism or exorcist that are very heavily inspired by this movie and the uh general premise of this film for those who haven't seen it is a 12 year old is possessed by a mysterious entity and her mother seeks help from two priests to save her did you read that right off of imdb <laughs> yeah i just happened to have that open on my monitor and i was like wait a second <laughs> that's word for word <laughs> um but no that's a, but yeah. that's a app summary so yeah uh first impression of the film i oh. i liked it a lot good i was worried you're gonna this is gonna be another one that was too old for you yeah no it was good i think um the pacing was good. Mm-hmm. I liked that it didn't over explain. I liked that it told really like, would you like three main characters perspectives? Uh, yeah, I'd say because it's you have Reagan, the girl who's possessed. You have her story. You have Chris, her mother's story. And then you have uh, Father Karras's story. And then. You could kind of say maybe the detective, but he's his role's really minimized in the movie. Um, right. Like, he's still kind of important, but not as important as he was in the book. Um, did you end? Did you ever read the book? I did. I something? read it this past between the recording last episode and just now. Oh, nice. What did you think? What was the were there any standout differences between the film and the honestly? Movie? It's I mean, a pretty, you know what I mean? pretty straight adaptation like a lot of the dialogue is ripped straight like word for word from the book um some stuff is toned up in the movie like there's a lot more like stuff flying around the room or like dressers being moved and like more visual things happening that they don't really describe as much in the book but it makes sense when you're adapting to a visual medium to add that stuff and then the detective uh lieutenant kinnerman he plays a much bigger role or Kinderman. Sorry. He plays a much bigger role in the book and the book is sort of more like a detective novel more so than, than the movie is Um, like at one point in the book, the detective goes to father Karras and says, Hey, I'm pretty sure that little girl murdered somebody, but I I don't know what to do about it. And that's (laughs) what finally pushes him to, to ask for an exorcism because he doesn't want her to get in trouble. Versus in the novel or in the book where it's just sort of like seeing everything add up. Oh, interesting. So there's a few structural things, but it's a pretty, pretty straight adaptation, which makes sense because the author of the book 
did write the screenplay. So he was heavily involved all throughout the process. Yeah, I know when researching the film after watching it, I saw it as one of the uh, people claim it to be one of the best adaptations ever made just because of how page for or word for word almost it translates from the book to film. Yeah, like a lot of the, if there's a scene where it's a couple of characters talking, like there's a lot of the dialogue is just word for word. What's up the book? And then there are a few other things like Carl, the uh, like Chris's house servant guy, the him and Willie, the other house lady. They're both like a, they have bigger roles in the book. And at one point, um, Carl is a suspect in the murder. And the murder as a whole, I think, plays a bigger plot in the book than it does in the movie. Whereas in the movie, it's just sort of like a thing that happens. Whereas in the book, it's more so set up as like the big, the big thing that like sort of sets a lot of it into motion. Or like starts like obviously Reagan has already started showing signs by then, but the killing of uh, the detective or the sorry the director is sort of like the catalyst for a lot more people getting involved and like taking it seriously. Speaking of differences, um, you saw the version because I goofed up and bought the wrong version. <laughs> yeah, so you saw the theatrical cut and I watched the extended, the version you've never seen before, which I thought was so the director's I cut. But I guess the director's cut is the theatrical version and the version you've never seen before was actually the author and the writer. He said, I want these scenes put back in. So they put them back in for him. So it's the writer's cut, I guess. Interesting. and. So, so at this point, you've seen both the uh, extended and the theatrical? Yes, I've probably seen the extended more. I thought I had never seen the extended version, but upon watching it, I realized I definitely had. Because there are scenes oh, that okay. aren't in the theatrical version, which I thought were. So, Oh, okay. Which, to be fair, the, the version you've never seen before came out in 2001, I think. So by the time we are old enough to watch this movie, both versions would have been super common to find. Do you think you can pinpoint some of the specifics between uh, the differences? So the one of the most famous scenes is the crab walk, and that's not in the theatrical cut, apparently, when I was looking into it. So yeah, there definitely wasn't a crab walk. Yeah, where she like walks backwards down the stairs and like pukes up blood. And she's no. like, yeah, so that's like one of the best scenes of like creepy possession stuff. And that's completely cut from the theatrical version. There is a discussion between the two priests when they're sitting on the stairs after the first bout of the exorcism before they go back in. And right. in the theatrical version, they just kind of sit there and take the, take a breath and they don't really say anything in the extended version. There is a conversation between them talking about why, why Reagan was possessed, why this had to happen. And father Marin, the, the titular exorcist, the one who was brought in specially for the exorcism, he says, he doesn't do it for her he does it they do it for us they want to they want to break us they want to torment us and that, i feel like that is a weird thing to have cut because it seems like a pretty key part of the whole possession um yeah and there's a few other things like they add flashes like subliminal flashes of the demon's face like throughout the movie they'll be like a quick flash and they'll be like they'll all white pale ghost demon face that pops up a couple of times but other than that it's just extended and then the ending slightly different um how does the theatrical cut end i don't remember so 
the theatrical cut ends with basically one of the other priests coming mm-hmm. to tell them goodbye. The mother tells the the daughter. I don't have the names written down. The mother had, uh, tells the daughter. Um, I'm sorry. The mother tells the priest that the daughter doesn't remember anything. Mm-hmm. The daughter sees the priest, realizes that she that he's a priest, gives him a quick kiss on the cheek, mm-hmm. indicating that she probably remembers, and then they drive off. Okay, so that's basically how the extended version ends. But then there's an extra like minute and a half where the detective, uh, Detective Kinderman shows up at the house. And then the priest, Father Dreyer, I think, goes back. And he's like, oh, you just missed him, detective. They just left. And he's like, oh, well, that sucks. And then he's like, hey, you want to go see a movie? And then they stroll off into the sunset to go watch a movie together. Oh, uh, yeah, that wasn't <laughs> yeah. that wasn't it. That wasn't in my movie. Yeah, so I think maybe the detective gets a little more plain extended cut as well. Because I feel like he's only in like two scenes in the theatrical version, probably. I so I I would pref- I would it would have been cool if the crab walk section was in the movie or the uh, yeah I guess the movie that I watched the yeah version the theatrical. I disagree with the portion about the priest talking. I kind of like the idea of them just going out, sitting on the steps, taking a breath, mm-hmm. and going back in. It's kind of a silence speaks volumes moment for me. No, that's fair enough. Um, that's just that was such an important speech in the book too. That oh really? To see that that had been cut from the theatrical version was a little weird. So I actually don't know the last time I saw the theatrical version. I feel like every version I've seen or watched since like has probably been extended. I know I've seen the theatrical probably the first time I watched it, but I feel like most of the times I've watched it has probably been the. And sometimes extended. when you're watching these two types of movies like the two different versions mm-hmm. if you've seen both of them they kind of just blend together into one well especially with this one because it's 95 percent the same 96 percent the same you know there's right only little bits of stuff here like they smooth out some of the edits and stuff but for the most part it's the same story just more right it's not like the uh justice league. batman versus superman oh yeah or oh. justice league yeah it's not justice league <laughs> where it goes from a two-hour comedy to a four-hour that thing <laughs> right yeah but yeah um, overall I, I thought it was a I, I was very happy i didn't expect it to go the direction it went i in, think i texted you did i text you my initial reaction uh yeah you you said you didn't expect it to go the way you, you thought it or you didn't go the way you thought it would go and you mentioned something else i can't remember what the other thing you said was um but, the, but by didn't go the way you thought it would go do you mean with like how much of it's about like a crisis of faith on top of the possession or how much it, how little the exorcist exorcism actually takes place in the movie because it's only like eight or ten minutes of a two-hour movie so it's not a big chunk of it for me i was not super surprised about the crisis of faith i was pleasantly surprised in the aspect that i'm glad that it wasn't i mean it's a the highly reg- regarded and praised film. Mm-hmm. I expected the writing to be pretty top notch, which it was, especially with each of the characters. More in the aspect of that, both of the fathers died, which I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Typically, in those types of movies, I feel like it. It's more clear cut on who's going to die. Yeah, with modern day horror versus 
here it wasn't even like there weren't any overly cliche mo- uh, moments in the movie either which was no pretty... there was like one jump scare and it was not even a proper jump scare it's like a fake out in the attic right yeah exactly and for music like normally with horror movies you expect the loud music cues and the big bombastic scores when i think scary happens but really there's not much music i'd say 70 percent of the scenes don't have music over them or if they do it's really subtle to the point where you don't even notice it right and just the overall atmosphere it's it was thing movies like hereditary and stuff um Mm -hmm. have i feel more of a atmosphere focused uh what's the word i'm trying to think no gosh what is the word i'm trying to think of uh Uh, they're more like artsy horror than they are like pop horror Exactly. And so they rely on just a good atmosphere rather than yeah. relying on cheap they, jump scares and they rely fake on outs. tone and, and building up a story. And they're not necessarily scare per minute. They're just creepy. Like they build a creepy thing. Like this whole movie throughout, you feel something's wrong, even when nothing scary is necessarily happening on the screen. There's still just yeah, always exactly. that lingering presence of what's going to happen next yeah exactly it was and i like how the demon was introduced as in like the the way it was introduced with reagan or the way it was sort of like teased with the the father in iraq earlier on or in in what specific way more in the specific way that like the introduction of it just being uh after the iraq portion Mm -hmm. just the ouija board yeah how it wasn't because usually I think, gosh, long time ago with my wife, one of the first horror movies we saw was like Annabelle Creation. Oh yeah, just like an absolute dog poo poo movie. But for for that modern day type of horror, usually it's like a bunch of girls and they're like, oh my god, let's play with this. Um, followed by cheap jump scares or like fake outs and stuff but this one is super subtle the way they introduced it yeah and the other thing is you assume the ouija board is the cause of it but it's never confirmed that could be a coincidence you don't know that that's that's got anything to do with it it could just be a coincidence that they had it or she could have already been possessed and the ouija board was just how the communication started or something it's just vague enough to where any answer that you think works can work so for the listeners at home, there's this portion at the beginning of the film where, uh, what's the father's name? The the one that does the actual exorcism or the mm-hmm. guy who meets them earlier? Uh, the guy who does the actual exorcism, the exorcist, he's uh, Father Marin. Father like, Marin. So, yeah, sorry, Lancaster Marin, who's played by Max Van Saito, uh, Max Van Saito, who was only like 40 when he made this movie and they just caked on old man makeup. And the crazy thing is, if you look at him in this movie and you look at him in The Force Awakens, he looks identical. It's like the best old man makeup ever because it just looks <laughs> he actually aged to look like he did in this movie. It's really funny. Dang, that's really cool. So for the beginning of the movie, would you be able to explain to the listeners kind of what was going on? Um, So he was just sort of looking for artifacts somewhere in Iraq. I don't know if they say exactly where. If they do, I don't remember it. And they find a totem of the demon Pazuzu. Well, they never say this. They don't say the demon's name at any point in the movie. Um, 
I don't even think they mention it in the book. I don't think it's elaborated on until the sequels at all. Um, but he finds a little totem for the demon. And then later on, he finds a full statue for the demon. And he sort of, again, I don't know if this is different in your version. So I might be explaining stuff that you didn't see. Um, and then during this, he sort of like stares off blankly and you don't really know what he's thinking, but he's sort of like having a staring contest with the statue of the demon. Um, in the novel, they expand on it that at that moment, he knew he was being called to fight the demon again and that this was the demon laying down a challenge, essentially. Um, so he was just doing, he was just researching for a book, basically. Like he's written multiple books involving... I don't know if they ever specify, but he's written books in the past and he's working on a new one. So he's looking for these artifacts you can assume for some sort of new history book or artifact book or just for some sort of writing. I really like the intro sequence, but I think on my first viewing, Mm -hmm. I didn't exactly understand what was going on just because there wasn't a lot of context or dialogue around it. Yeah, they also don't tell you, but the implication is that the demon that he... Find the statue of is the one that possesses Reagan. But again, it's never flat out said. Interesting. And okay. that's supposed to be Pazuzu, who is an actual demon from uh, Mesopotamian mythology. He's like the king of wind, king of the wind demons. He's a demon of the southwest winds, and he brings drought and famine. And then the, to- the little totem thing he finds is because Mesopotamians, they would have totems of Pazuzu. Um, because Pazuzu would protect humans from plague and misfortune. So even though he is a demon, he did have positive connotations to the people. Um, so that's sort of the background of the demon, even though they never go into that in the movie. I, I don't Like I said, I don't even think they mention his name in the book or the movie, either version of it. I don't think they ever say the demon that possessed her was Pazuzu until the sequel. And the sequel sucks. Don't watch it. The third movie is okay, but two is really bad. Third movie being what? uh the exorcist 3 i think it's just called okay the exorcist 2 not good exorcist 3 it's pretty it's all right it's nowhere near the first one but it's still pretty good huh yeah i've never i've never seen I, well this yeah i've never seen any of the exorcist movies this is my first yeah there's first one five there's one two three and then two different prequels but the prequels also suck. oh okay yeah interesting Slim pickings for these franchises. You got the first one, and you can watch the sec or the third one, but it's nowhere near as good. What do you have a favorite scene from the film? Um, off the top of my head, I don't. I'm sure if I we talked about it more, something will come. Let's bring to mind that that I really like, but nothing in particular jumps right out at me. How about you? I. I really liked this scene. It it was just kind of disturbing. This, it wasn't a film that like scared me. I went into it thinking I was going to have nightmares or not be able to sleep. I don't really have that with any horror movies. So I don't know why. I I think I was just kind of building up a little bit higher in my mind. Yeah, this movie has the reputation of being the scariest movie of all time. And there's like all the hysteria in the 70s of people like fainting in the theater, or throwing up in the theater and passing out and all this stuff. So it's sort of got that reputation. <laughs> yeah, but a scene that was slightly disturbing to me was when um, she was possessed and speaking in the voice of the priest's dead mother. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, just um, 
just cool. It wasn't it wasn't too over the top. There was like some emotional depth mm-hmm. to it. Well, she has a few they, voices in that scene because she uses or sorry, you're talking about the later scene when the exorcism already started, right? Yes. Okay. Right. Because earlier in the movie, she uses it at another point as well as a few other voices. So she sort of has a bunch of different voices. She uses the director that was killed. She has his voice at one point and implies that she's the one that killed him or basically admits that she's the one that killed him. Mm. Um, and in the book, they sort of imply that he molested her. And that was sort of what lent into her. Like that was part of how she was able to be susceptible to possession is that she had a lot of stuff going on and that left her susceptible. And that was, that was part of it. And that was also why the demon was aggressive towards the the director because he had a, it implied molested her in the past. And similar when the doctors come, he, the, when she jumps up, she, the demon says like the sow is mine or something like that. It's just like super possessive over her. And that's like all the personalities because it can be kind of inferred whether or not it's one demon with like using the voices of the dead to mess with people or if like those dead people are actually inhabiting the body as well. Yeah, I trying to think what impression I was under. I was under the impression that it was. Gosh, maybe I don't even remember. (laughs) Honestly, Uh, I feel like I I guess I was under the impression that it it was multiple demons. mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I think at one point the father is even discussed that because care or uh, father Karis is talking and he says, uh, do you want to hear the background of the case, the different personalities that have manifested? And Father Marion's like, no, there's only one. And you oh. was, like, I think you're supposed to maybe, maybe that's in not, wasn't in your version, but. It was, I do remember that. Now. Okay. Because then you could say, well, Father Marin knows, but at the same time, he might not know, you know, he, he should mm-hmm. be making an assumption as well. Like, while he is the only like authority on exorcisms and he's the only one with a past of them, that still doesn't mean he knows everything because he's, as far as they say, he's only ever done one before, and it was like 30 years ago in Africa, and that was also Pazuzu. That's why, like, when he enters the building, the demon, like, screams his name, because he knows who he is, and he can, like, oh, sense his I presence. See. It's not just like, oh, random priest that I know. It's like, no, I've had a past with you. That's why I'm screaming your name, and oh. that's why you know that there's only one personality. Sometimes I feel like films like this benefit on uh, second viewing. This one I would definitely say does because I feel like the first time you watch it, you're focused a lot on like the effects and like how did they do a lot of it? Like how did they do the quick switches between her face? How did they like how was the makeup done or the makeup or you just focused on the makeup or the shaking bed or like the head twist thing? Right. You're just so focused on that that you don't notice like the smaller moments, of the dialogue or mm-hmm. just the other stuff happening in those same scenes. And just going and uh, going back into the same movie, kind of knowing what route it's going, mm-hmm. just gives you the yeah exactly gives you stuff you to look out for exactly because they don't again they don't say this in the movie but remember very early in the film when I can't remember if it's Father Dreyer or if it's Karis but one of the priests walks in to the somewhere on the campus it must be the chapel you'd assume but they find the statue of the virgin mary that's been desecrated yes yeah so in the book 
they pretty much confirm or they say that like that was Reagan, like Reagan did that. And if you remember in the movie, it kind of cuts from like Chris hearing all the noises in the attic. Gets the fake jump scare and then goes back downstairs and then it cuts to the next morning when that statue is found. The implication is that the noises were Reagan getting out of the house and doing that. Oh, okay. obviously under the, the demon's control, because earlier in the movie, she makes her mom that bird. Um, that like ugly bird statue thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the book, the detective like scrapes some of the paint off of that. And when they scan that paint, it matches the paint that was used to desecrate the statue. Oh, really? So, yeah. So like I said, the the, movie, the book's a lot more of a detective novel. Like a lot of the chapters are in the detective's point of view as he's like interviewing people or he's like doing little sneaky things to like figure out what's going on. Hmm. I still think the movie works, though, even without that angle. It's just obviously it changes it from more of like a mystery to more of a suspense like horror. Right, exactly. There's less context behind it in a way, but it adds to its benefit simultaneously. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question now regarding less the film itself and more the reaction to it. Do like, so there's obviously a lot of reactions to this film. And a lot of them were saying that the film itself, like there were people saying that the cells of the film like hold Satan in it and everything like that. Or there are pe- like basically I, a lot of people who I would call idiots being incredibly outraged about the film um, and saying it promotes the devil and stuff like that. But like it, the moral in the story, like clearly is about a crisis of faith and then faith ends up winning in the end and the devil is defeated essentially. <laughs> So I don't I don't understand that level of outrage to a movie that tells the story where the the devil loses to the priest. Yeah, I don't quite understand the outrage either cuz I was reading up on a little bit of that. I mm-hmm. don't I don't think there's any like theological um bi- uh basis or I guess that'd be the word. I think but, it's like, just a lot of people are scared and they react stupidly yeah exactly yeah like people kind of get up in arms about this type of stuff and Mm -hmm. to be fair i mean from the time period it came out it is i think wasn't it a rated x movie is that what it's called no it was rated r um and people complained that it should have been rated nc-17 which is like the next step up and then a couple states i think like louisiana washington dc and a couple other places they like locally mandated it that it be treated as an nc-17 movie Hmm, interesting anyway the point i was going uh going to go with is Mm -hmm. it's a lot of pretty awful stuff happening to a young girl yeah yeah and it's kind of the content has Mm -hmm. satan but i don't think i mean it has well it's not even a demon yeah, yeah a demon that's the other thing is it's not actually satan and good wins in the end like um there's a story with a different director and he tried to get permission so they shot this on site at georgetown and that like big university there which is like a i guess it's like a catholic school i'm not quite sure um and he tried to get permission to shoot there and they told him no and he's like oh what you're you're good enough for the exorcist but not good enough for me what that's a movie about demons and they're like yeah but the devil doesn't win in the end 
that's why we let you here. And like the Catholic conference, which I guess is like a collection of priests or something. Um, they have a rate, they have their own rating scale for like what movies they think are appropriate for people of the faith to watch. And they rated the exorcist as an a four, which means it's morally a good movie. It's just the content may be, maybe hard to consume and it's for adults only, but hmm. they said it's good. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd imagine that'd be pretty accurate. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, well, yeah, I, <laughs> the father has a crisis of faith, which ends up being wrong because faith is what ends up saving. The day. I mean, it could be argued whether or not the exorcism actually worked. And in, if not, it was just the demon wanting a stronger host. And then he was strong enough to fight back for a second. So you could sort of argue that, but the film pretty clearly paints it that faith won wins in the end. It even wins over science in the end. Cause there's a mm. whole arc of the movie, which is faith versus science and science can't solve the problem, but faith does. Right. So it's like a very pro pro all that movie that got a lot of people very angry who maybe didn't watch the movie and they just saw that it was about the devil or about demons. So it, it must be evil because it is about demons, which I think is a stupid outlook. Yeah, I agree. Also, this came out like two days after Christmas. It had a December 26th release date. So people were probably just <laughs> I upset also about read that. that. Which That's weird pretty... date to choose it, but it is. Also, it's kind of like fitting though, in a way. I don't know. It's it's. I feel like it's kind of typical for. Um, I mean, it's it's a horror film that has some religious, I guess, overtones, undertones, probably overtones. Yeah, overtones. Thing, it's pretty. It's um, pretty in your face. It just yeah, it's overt. It's not subtle or hidden. You know. Right. With it's, I mean, around Christmas time. Yeah, two of the main characters are priests. And yeah. it takes place mostly, like, on a house across the street from, like, a parish. Or not a parish. Wherever priests live. What are those called? Oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Priest homes? <laughs> priest homes, yeah. <laughs> Home for homeless priests. <laughs> yeah. So, other thing is with the reaction to the movie, a lot of it... I think partially comes down to the state of specifically America at the time when the movie came out. So this would be like post Watergate, I think, or like just post Watergate where like nobody had trust in the government or systems of authority anymore because of all of that stuff that went down. Mm -hmm. So when you have like horror movies tend to be reactionary to social climate. So when you have a social climate, that's already uneasy and mistrusting when you put a horror movie like this out, it's going to obviously rattle some cages, even if it wasn't intended to. Because another thing is like Roe v. Wade was passed earlier the year that this movie came out in like January. So there was already a lot of. um, Like upset and on edge and idea of like evil manifesting in America among those groups who were going to be upset about it. So when you throw this on top of that, it's like adding coals to a fire that you maybe didn't even know was burning. Because obviously mm-hmm. that was. That was in January of 73 that that happened. And The Exorcist came out in December. So that's 11 months. It, they were already they already made the movie and they were already working on the movie by the time that happened. It wasn't a reaction to it, but it definitely would have stoked some of the same flames. Right. It would have seemed kind of reactionary. Yeah, or not necessarily reactionary, but it's, again, it's a movie about a kid who's having evil done upon them, which 
in reaction to Roe v. Wade would have been seen as maybe like either a support of it or an endorsement of it or even just like Hollywood and the government conspiring <laughs> together to be evil <laughs> type of right. thing. You know, those conspiracy theories you see every other week. Um, and it would have <laughs> right. just kind of been, that's partially like all of those things combined sort of led to a, the perfect time for this movie to come out to get the reaction it did. If this movie had come out like come out like two years earlier, like before Watergate happened or anything like that, or bef- like when people still had a lot of trust in authorities of power or systems of power, it probably wouldn't have been so revolutionary. It would have been almost forgot, like forgotten. I was going to ask you, do you, so in a real life scenario, mm-hmm. um, what, as an atheist, what makes you think that there's a massive group of people that believes in exorcists and exorcisms and stuff like that do you think would you describe it as just um unawareness of mental issues or what exactly is your perspective about all um i mean that's basically what they say in the movie like father Karras when he's talking to to the mother at first he says like we haven't done exorcisms in whatever many years since we like started to understand mental health um i'd say because as far as i know I think we've talked about this in another episode. Like they're not, they don't really happen. Like they're not super common. And I know there's still like, there is still a practice of it within the Catholic church. And it's still like a known thing, but it's not like a, a tool they have to break out pretty consistently. Um, So as far as I understand it, it's sort of a dead practice. I know there are people that still request them, and they still do them, but not sanctioned by the church necessarily. And a lot of those, I think the ones being done in real life that aren't officially sanctioned, I think are more exploitative than anything. Um, mm-hmm. And that the people that believe them are just desperate. So if you're desperate, you're going to go for any possible answer. Because um, the script for this movie or the book and the movie was based on like the last exorcism that had been performed in the United States, which is in like 1854 or something. Like, so as far as I know, they're not, I mean, I could be speaking on my ass, but I don't think they really, really happen at all, do they? Well, that's kind of the conclusion that I came to. I think it was in the, this is the end episode. There was a Mm -hmm. exorcist parody scene and it wasn't too well informed. Well, for this episode, I definitely had to get a little bit well informed because we were doing an entire podcast episode about the subject, but I mean, kind of the same conclusion that you came to. So it's it's something. So the Catholic Church, whenever there is a request for an exorcism to be done, mm-hmm. it's big for them to basically first send them to a doctor. Yeah, like they have to know without a uh, with unreasonable doubt that this person could potentially be possessed. There's like an entire questionnaire the person has to go through. Um, Don't think I have the exact questions right now, Mm -hmm. but they're like, have you been diagnosed with any uh, mental illnesses? Have you stopped taking medication? Stuff like that. I don't think they touched on in the movie, but in the book too, Father Karras, when he's deciding, like looking into her case at first, he finds a guidebook on like 
things you must confirm before an exorcism could even be considered. And it's, yeah, is there any history of mental health illnesses? Is there, um, one of them is like, is there, do they speak a language they've never known or studied before suddenly? Um, I forget what some of the other requirements are, but they're all like, you know, it's a pretty thorough checklist of stuff before they'll do it. Because obviously people have died during exorcisms in the past because they were, it's just a lot of intense stuff going on. Right. So obviously the church wants to be as safe as possible about it. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to get in like, and it's just a sense of cooperation with the psychiatrists and medical doctors because you don't want to be tying someone up who has just a split personality disorder or something like that. Yeah, or like schizophrenia or something that's yeah, something exactly. explainable. Yeah, Because the Catholic Church Church's position would be um, essentially just a false diagnosis to someone would be unjust. Like it, it would, the entire process of an exorcism is through manner of charity. Mm-hmm. So, and I also have the, so I'll, I'll just read it off real quickly. In the Roman ritual, true demonic or satanic possession has been characterized since the Middle Ages by the following four typical characteristics. Manifestation of superhuman strength, speaking in tongues or languages that the victim cannot know, revelation or knowledge distant or hidden that the victim cannot know, and blasphemous rage, obscene hand gestures, profanity, and aversion to holy symbols and names and relics and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was, as I was doing research, I watched a few YouTube videos on priests who essentially were saying that they were wanting to, even with the doubt and skepticism, they wanted to kind of bring just it to the light to anyone who was willing to listen. Uh-huh. And I think it's one of those things. So the Catholic Church doesn't allow filming of exorcisms, uh-huh. which is kind of a shame. I mean, the majority of people wouldn't believe it anyways. Like, I'd probably yeah. be skeptical skeptical in believing it if it was filmed. Uh-huh. It's kind of what I kind of wish it was. I think it's just a private event type of thing. I think it's no. privacy and I think partially covering their ass yeah exactly like from what you can read from people or family members who have been through them because you can read some accounts like a lot of the times it seems like the priests are maybe going too far at least if you take it from a perspective of they aren't actually possessed and so i think they're probably now saying like hey if you do one please don't record it because could look bad (laughs) There was this one YouTube video that I watched and it was an apparent like it it was a priest he was talking about he was a uh, exorcist he was talking about like the procedure and what he was thinking and it was being recorded mm-hmm. and it was so unconvincing <laughs> that yeah. that it it was Listen, kind I of, know so far we haven't really like pre-planned episodes but I think for our next episode, we should watch a movie or our next horror episode. We should watch a movie called The Last Exorcist because it's sort of a good con- like it, a good continuation of this conversation. And I think it's a really good like it talks about like modern day exorcisms. And the whole point is like the main character is sort of like a, 
a priest who kind of just does exorcisms as like a shield job. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's we got a lot of interest like that. So I think that could be a good one to do for our next horror, just to kind of continue the whole idea of exorcisms. But maybe we'll run out of conversation midway through, so maybe we want to put some time between them. Yeah, I I think that'd be a good idea because I think there's a lot to dive into in the just with exorcisms in general. Mm-hmm. As Catholics, we're called to believe that there's this battle going on between. Uh, Satan and his minions uh-huh. and um, the disciples of Christ so you know Catholics Christians uh-huh. but so, in in full transparency just sometimes it's it's difficult to um, come to terms with that uh-huh. as an atheist, I think it's almost easier to believe in demons than it is to believe in a god. Oh, interesting. In the Judeo-Christian sense of the word god. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just, um, just the general ideas of them in that, like, god being all good and everything like that. It's like, yeah, but there's a lot of bad in the world, and if that's what demons are causing, then that's clearly true. But I don't see as much good counteracting that bad necessarily. Mm-hmm. Not saying I I do believe in them because I don't, but I just, as a non-believer, it'd be easier for me to to believe in that. Um, going back to what you're saying about the ongoing war and as a Catholic, you're called to believe in it. So this movie, they, since they don't say it, but the implication is that the demon is Pazuzu. How does the demon being from another faith or another like mythology affect that? Because Pazuzu would be an ancient Mesopotamian god, so it, or a demon, so it would have been from like the same stuff as like the Epic of Gilgamesh and everything like that. So, right. does that not? I guess not deconfirm, but does the demon being from another religion not throw a complication in it being between God and Satan, or it being a a Christian theological idea? Because if there is an actual demon called Pazizu possessing people, that sort of leans into the idea that maybe the Mesopotamians had it right. Yeah, I, I'm sure you could go about this two ways. The first way that I'd initially think about it is, um, I think it's one third of the, like in the Bible, one third of the fallen angels went to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so by that logic, there could be any given uh, demon with any given name. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I don't know. It doesn't really throw a wrench, I'd say, particularly. It could be maybe like a demon was, in the context of the movie, helping these people. Um but I don't think that really counteracts with the Christian faith mm-hmm. overall. Because the other thing with Pazuzu, it's not just like a demon that they don't have a story for. Like they have a whole thing where they're the son of, oh, I think her name's Hanbi, who's like the god of evil among the Mesopotamians. So it's not like a random demon without much of a story. It's like a full on mythological character, you know? Yeah. So if Pazuzu is real, you'd have to assume that Hanbi, 
who is their father, who is the god of evil, would also be real. Yeah. But I guess you could also always make the argument that, like, it's just different interpretations. Like, that's what the Mesopotamians saw as Satan and one of his minions. Right. And I think that's what I would lean to. But no, that's a super good question. I, I, yeah, that's a really good question. So what do you think about the what the film has to say about Christ, like a crisis of faith? Because I would say there's two main characters that kind of deal with them. Um, but what's your take on that? Ask the question again. Sorry, I couldn't. I for some reason you, I couldn't hear you. Oh, um, what would what would you say your take on the film's portrayal of crises of faith is? And I say because the way I see it, there's like two main characters that have a crisis of faith. Yeah. And you're referring to the would you say, would say the mother and the priest? Yeah, the mother and the priest, but from two different angles. It's an atheist having a crisis of faith that oh crap, maybe I was wrong. Maybe maybe this is all real. And then the father who's like, oh, crap, maybe I was wrong. Maybe none of this is real. Yeah, I think. I like films that talk about crisis as a faith, even if the resolution isn't the ideal, which would be them returning to Christianity in some mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it, it brings up good debate, good discussion, good discussion, good different points of view. Uh, does that sufficiently answer your question? Yeah. Um, to expand on that, though, with Father Karras' crisis in particular, um, throughout the film, they sort of imply that maybe his life wouldn't would have been better if he had never become a priest. Like, mm-hmm. he mentions how he has to be away from his mother and he doesn't get to spend time with her, and so she ends up dying alone. And then no one finds her for a couple days. And then there's the scene where they're at the hospital visiting his mother, and um, her, his uncle says something along the lines of like, oh, if you were an actual psychiatrist instead of a priest, she'd be in the fanciest penthouse in Manhattan or something like that instead of this bomb house or something. Yeah, that's sad. Um, and that's sort of not necessarily related to his crisis of faith, at least when he's discussing his his thoughts. It's more so about what he hears from the other fathers as their counselor and everything else going on. Um, he just sort of is losing it. So do you think that him being a priest was ultimately for the good, essentially? Because he seems to not think so, even as he's towards the end of the film, he just sort of knows I had to save this girl. So I guess in that sense, you could say it is good. But do we know if like any other anyone else could have done it or if it had to be Karis? Um, I think. So in in. In real life, a priest, when they're performing an exorcism, they have to be... Do you know the difference between a sacrament and a sacramental, by any chance? I don't. So a sacrament is something like a holy baptism, holy uh, communion, stuff like that, holy matrimony. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, something that a priest does as a physical sign of Christ's faith like something that christ gave us to display our faith yeah um onto others so if there's a priest who's up there and he's having doubts or doesn't believe in the faith at all but Mm -hmm. he's still doing the actual process as in like this is the body of christ all that stuff Mm -hmm. the rest of the people who are participating in the mass and receiving the sacrament 
which would be the Holy Eucharist in this context, yeah, would be still reaping the benefits. Like it still becomes the body of Christ in that context. Okay. However, a sacramental um, is something like a rosary or holy water or I believe even an exorcism is mm-hmm. um, counted as a sacramental, essentially meaning that the priest has to be in good faith for it to have any validity. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So in the context of the film, I think that the priest, I mean, the priest would have been more of a detriment to the girl than anything. Uh-huh. And I, we kind of saw that in the film when the demon latched onto the priest, although that was more voluntary than anything. Yeah. Well, I guess and in the film the too, there was... shadows that. Because earlier yeah. when you first meet and he's talking about getting an exorcism, he's like, oh, you would like that? Why? Because it'll bring us together. So it's sort of foreshadowed that maybe the demon's plan all along is to possess the father. Yeah. And maybe that's easy because he's having a crisis. Maybe if the father wasn't having a crisis of faith, the demon wouldn't be able to so easily decide I'm going to possess you instead. In the context of the film, however, I... I don't know. I think it's a it's 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 something it's something difficult. He he saved like a little girl's life. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But he missed out on you know his own mother, earthly things. He ended up dying down a flight mm-hmm. of stairs. This flight, those stairs are so iconic. Yeah, you can visit them. They're a real real set of stairs in in uh, Georgetown. Not to go too off tangent with your question, but just like those, I thought those those stairs were going to be a little bit more in the film for some reason, just because they're so like iconic. Yeah, they're like the poster is right. like the base of the stairs. And stuff exactly. Like that. And usually in a horror movie, you have your set piece that the entire film's based around like the poster and everything. And uh-huh. every couple of scenes, it pans back to, you know, the house or the tree or mm-hmm. the the doll, whatever the case may be. Yeah, well, the stairs are, I mean, the stairs are where the the director died, and then obviously later the father died. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of, they are, they are key in that. Um, they play, they're a little more relevant in the book, as in they just mentioned a few more times. But it's only because they are doing a more active murder investigation, so they just naturally have to come up more. But yeah, yeah you can Sorry. see them. They have like, a, there's like a plaque on them that says like, the exorcism stairs, or the exorcist stairs. That's cool. That's really cool. And it's in Georgetown? Yeah, which is like a, I think a suburb of Washington, D.C., if I'm not uh, mistaken. Okay. Um, but to answer your question, I think overall in the film, the priest did the best he could have, which isn't a bad yeah. thing at all. I no, think... I, I mean, I really like Father Karras. I think he's one of the, like, he's a really well-written character. He's a really like great fictional character. Hmm. Yeah, it's always interesting when you put a character who only knows one thing into a situation where they don't exactly believe in that initial I- idea or ideology or yeah religion that they spent their whole life in. Hmm. Yeah, and you know those always go one of two ways, or actually one of three ways. It's either 
they abandon their faith, they're reinforcing their faith, or they find like a third path. But that one right. I would say is the least common. Yeah. But this one I I mean you could assume that he completely refound his faith, but it's never overtly said. But it's I mean, if just following the plot of the film, it makes sense that it's sort of very heavily implied that he fully rediscovered his faith. So I'm gonna ask a question about like a very specific scene because it's sort of one of the more I won't say iconic, I'd say infamous scenes. Um and it's the scene where Reagan masturbates with the crucifix. Do you have any Yes, that was not in oh, my really? film. No, yeah, that one wasn't. Well, the there's one where that's, she's like stabbing it. herself. It's, yeah, it's Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that. I guess you and I have two different versions well, of that one. That's word. how it's described in the book. <laughs> and I think it, the way she talks about it as well, she sort of implies that that's what she's doing. Because then she grabs their mother's face oh, okay. and shoves it down there. <laughs> yeah. So that sort of implies yeah. that that's what she's doing. God. And again, it's a lot more graphic in the book. Um, that whole scene, but obviously they toned it down because it's hard to shoot a scene like that with a kit. Um, mm-hmm. but what is your because I know that's one of the scenes in particular that upset a lot of people so I just wanted to get you your your take on that scene maybe I I don't know if it's just me as mm-hmm. a person but I typically I mean I find those types of scenes disturbing but not necessarily offensive. no that makes sense that's like even even the uh even the one with the um, disfigured uh, statue of yeah. the Virgin Mary. That's that's another one of those scenes that I kind of relate in that same spectrum where it wasn't ne- it wasn't necessarily offensive to me, but it was mm-hmm. disturbing. Just just the imagery yeah. of it all. Um, but no, I didn't see anything wrong with it. It's I think using those sacred symbols in the right context are in the movie's benefit. I wouldn't necessarily say using it like that's the right context for a cross, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, I feel like it's the for right the scene, context yeah. for the scene and that they're trying. The similar thing yeah. with that rating I told you that the Catholic conference gave the movie. They said yeah the movie has a lot of vulgar language, but it's like required and even the mpaa when they rated the movie r instead of nc-17 they said it uses a lot of vulgar and disgusting language but contextually it's important to use that type of language like to convey the story of a demonic position you have to because like they drop a couple hard c yeah exactly in this movie, and that's a word you still don't hear nowadays that often in movies and they say it like two or three times and it's a 12 year old saying it. it's and when one of the criteria for the Roman ritual for possession is blasphemous yeah. rage, you, it's kind of a given. Yeah, that you got to have that. Like you got to have the desecration, the cross scene, everything like that. Sort of. I mean, you could do it in other ways, but those ways work just fine. So why not use them? And I feel like horror movies in general get a little bit more slack with that stuff in my mind. Yeah. Just because I understand what they're trying to do and the necessity behind mm-hmm. it for the scene it's the same thing with i feel like comedy i feel like comedy you can get yeah exactly more um as long as you're 
you know, not being too, you know, too far. There's always a, like a line. And as long as you don't cross that line, it's probably okay. And even if you do cross the line, you can get away with it if you do it well enough. Are there any things that you would see? Like just knowing me, is there anything that you would think that I would get offended by in the context of like desecration? Uh, sacred images i don't think i have yeah, an answer i was just gonna say this is probably one of the most like this the desecration of mary and the use of the cross and stuff like that i feel like this movie does it worse than most other movies i can think of so i couldn't really think mm-hmm. of anything well you said uh what's the movie that came out last year or this year that you got upset about with like the Virgin Mary. Oh yeah, the yeah. The you, I don't know if you. I use the word offended, but that movie you weren't too into the idea of because it sort of desecrates not yeah. just the symbol but the whole idea of the story. Yeah, I think it's in the same realm of making a movie and being like, "Oh, maybe Jesus was the devil the whole time." I just kind as of as an atheist, I find those types of stories really interesting. Where, oh, it turns out we were wrong and like we had the story backwards. I find those interesting just as somebody who doesn't believe in either way. They're just sort of an interesting mm-hmm. way to like analyze media or analyze like the idea of faith and religion, specifically with like the idea of Lucifer as like the rebellious one or like the free one and stuff like that. There's like that idea into him, which I think inherently sets up an interesting storyline where you say like hey maybe he was right to a degree and i don't think i'd be opposed exactly Mm -hmm. to watching it i think i'd be opposed to supporting the creation with my money if that makes sense So piracy (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, (laughs) just wait till it's on netflix and you you don't you know or a exactly. service you already have. Would you steal a car? Do you remember yeah. those commercials? Yeah. They were for like the VH. They were for VHS. <sighs> They're on right? early DVDs too, I think. You wouldn't download okay. a car, would you? If I could, I would. Yes. <laughs> yes, I very much would. People steal cars all the time. What are you talking about? And the same thing with music, because like Metallica. That's why like a lot of people hate Metallica because they got super in into like the whole anti-piracy movement like yeah that's a whole different thing with like Napster and everything like that honestly I don't support the idea of piracy 95% of the time however sometimes they make stuff impossible (laughs) to find or watch and I think that piracy more so comes down to ease of access like I haven't pirated a song in forever because spotify and apple music make it so easy to find every song i want you know like i i don't have to buy it individually for like three dollars a song on itunes or buy a cd for 15 like 15 dollars. it's way easier to watch i feel like with netflix movie piracy has gone down because a lot of new releases go straight to netflix or hbo max or paramount plus or whatever pretty quickly so it's just going to incentivize people not to pirate as much because it's just so much easier. You don't have to schlep down to a theater and pay 20 bucks. You don't have to either. You don't have to pay $30 for a Blu-ray to watch a movie, you know? Even if you have to rent the movie for $5. Right. Like 
to rent a movie not that bad for a new release so people are just not going to like they're going to be less incentivized to pirate not because of the money but because it's just so much easier now you don't have to work to do it <laughs> yeah like for this film for example just hopped onto youtube yeah three dollars bought the wrong yeah it's not like if this was in if we were recording this podcast i don't know why we'd be doing a podcast in like 2005 but if we're doing this in like 2005 and the only options were buy a dvd at a best buy or something or rent it from blockbuster and blockbuster doesn't have it you're like well my only option now is to pirate it because i can't watch it online you know (laughs) so i feel like as stuff's gotten easier to access piracy's just become less of an incentive basically not that I right. pirated any time within the past, however long the statute of limitations is. <laughs> this is all allegedly <laughs> and probably yeah, metaphorically, exactly. hypothetically. It's like a cut. Yeah, a my cousin. cousin's uncle who lives in a different country did it. <laughs> my cousin's uncle would be my dad. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> His other uncle on the other side. <laughs> um but yeah i uh it's gonna follow up with something but my my download a car tangent got us a little bit this movie features a real serial killer yeah so remember the scene where she's in the hospital and they're like get by the way that hospital scene where they draw her blood that blood squirts (laughs) like i don't think I don't think they're oh, doing yeah. that procedure right. Not that I know how to do that procedure. That is a lot of blood shooting very far. I don't think that's right. It, but uh, the bearded guy it, in that scene who like does that procedure and like talks to her about what they're going to do. Um, he mm-hmm. is a serial killer who killed like a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, and really? then I guess they made a movie about him. And they, I guess the director of this movie ended up directing a movie based on that serial killer or something. It's real weird. Huh. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, yeah it's, it's always... It, I mean... I don't... Does that make you uncomfortable um, or not really? I don't... No, I wouldn't say so. Especially because... I don't know. It's hard to say. It's kind of just like a cool film Easter egg. Cool Easter egg is so much as an interesting one. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. But I mean, I could see if if you were. Um, if that would like turn you off of the film or like make you feel uncomfortable. Oh, I was going to tell you this story of one of the YouTube videos I watched on uh, demonic okay. possession. I think I was talking about it earlier in the episode but we started talking about other stuff that kind of tied into it um it was a father he was describing what he was doing um and it was like a recording and it was i couldn't tell whether it was a reenactment or an actual exorcism Mm -hmm. and it was just it's so so bad i know um so like there's there's a scene where like the priest is yelling at the the demon and the girl like falls to the floor but like when she's on the floor you could barely see it with the camera but one of the comments pointed out that she's like 
readjusting her shirt so it covers mm-hmm. her belly. Which probably wouldn't be her concern if she was actually possessed. Imagining a... <laughs> and and the priest uh, was like yelling at her and saying, you know, what is your name, mm-hmm. demon? Type of thing. Because I guess in the from what I read, the Catholic Church commands the demon to say its name it's as like a power move. Mm-hmm. And the lady said witchcraft demon, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of kind of funny the witchcraft yeah <laughs> you know what i mean just yeah stuff like that uh has me struggling on the how the frequency of this yeah i think another priest was talking he did a couple of interviews uh his name is father vincent lampart and his stories seem pretty convincing, but I think just when anyone describes the supernatural, our instant reaction is just dismiss. to com- exactly completely mm-hmm. dismiss. Uh, especially when he was describing um, describing instances of superhuman strength and stuff like that one of the things the priest said he did and i think this was in the film as well which was interesting Mm -hmm. so the priest didn't he bless her with tap water and she reacted yes so he had tap water and told her it was holy water and she still had the reaction and his idea there was Mm -hmm. if she doesn't react then she can tell it's not holy water if she does then I know she's faking it. Yeah, which is interesting because I know that's from what I was reading a tactic that they do in the Catholic Church. And even Mm -hmm. he was saying that like there was instances where he would bless someone with tap water, kind of like Mm -hmm. that exact scenario, and they would react Mm -hmm. violently. And in his mind, he would just almost immediately dismiss it as being authentic. Because in that instance, only yeah. he knows. In the film itself, what... I don't quite understand why the demon would react violently so to tap So, I don't remember if they say it in the film. They do imply it in the book. When Father, I think when Father Marin is talking to um, Father, Father Karras. Or maybe it's in the book he's reading that like explains exorcisms. They say that the demons are known to... like trick people into thinking that the person's not possessed and that they're just sick or the demon knows like part of what's going on and just messes with them so it could just be that pazuzu or the demon knew that it was like bullshit but decided if i react and they and i know it's fake they're gonna think that i'm faking it so they're not gonna try and exercise me maybe again i think a lot of it comes down to and it's the same thing with like the idea of witch hunts back in the day um, where mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just going to keep testing you and every answer is wrong just so they can go through with what they want to do anyway is sort of what the idea boils mm-hmm. down to. Not that that's what Father Karras was doing, but I imagine historically and in the process of developing the idea of exorcisms and processing it, I feel like a lot of it boiled down to you're, you're possessed and we believe that. So if no matter what you do, you're wrong and we're right. <laughs> right. 
yeah, I could definitely see that being like an issue back before before it was like regulated modern mental. Exactly. I mean, you always hear the idea that like exorcisms back in the day were like way too common and abusive. So that idea probably doesn't come from nowhere. Like it's got to have some sort of basis. And this has all been before the church, obviously, cracked down. And as strictly speaking, Catholic, I know I'm sure Protestants, there are plenty of Protestants that also believe in demons and probably also perform exorcisms. Yeah, it's interesting that like Catholics are kind of the image when it comes to exorcisms. Do you think there's any particular reason in your mind why it's Uh, like that? The idea of like there being a central authority and the Catholic church being like an ancient power, essentially, I think is where a lot of that stems mm-hmm. from. Cause when you do it with like a more Protestant or smaller church, it's harder to like have a central idea and a central history to build off of. Cause you can't just be like, right. Uh, oh, I learned from this famous exorcist from Rome or anything like that. And it's harder to like maybe establish the right. history as much. Because there are other sure. demonic possession yeah, movies like sense. with different faiths that aren't Christian at all. And they're like strictly the like hoodoo or they are. Um, I can't even think of the name. It's like some shaman. The movie, I think it's just called Shaman. But it's like demonic possession in like Korea. And it's all like using like native Korean religious beliefs and stuff to to exercise the demon or even into the japanese horror movies have like demons and the idea of demonic possession and it's not beaten by like christian beliefs it's beaten by like traditional japanese beliefs and stuff like that so it's not uncommon but i feel like if it is christian it's catholic at least yeah in film it seems that way very heavily yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, buddy boy. I think kind of like, I I didn't come to this conclusion until you mentioned it, but um, it's kind of easy to establish it mm-hmm. through a film. It's just easier in general to talk just about kind of the Catholic Church because one, it there's people all over the world, and I don't know statistically how it compares to Protestants, but if you say it's a Protestant dom- denomination, you're not covering all Protestants, you're covering that denomination. Where if you're covering Catholics, you're covering all Catholics and enough of the beliefs kind of cross over to where most Protestants can probably also understand it. Yeah, exactly. Well, the Protestant church is like a branch. I mean, it's just... They all separated at our own time. It's like a branch that fell off of the tree that was... There's a few different breaking points, but at each of the breaking points, more churches form and stuff like that so because there's like the big one with like martin luther and then there's like king henry broke off england and did the church of england and stuff like that so there's a bunch of different times where they were broken off and separated so there's enough of like a core idea there to where if you tie it to catholicism it can probably rate relate to enough christians in general but also the writer of the exorcist yeah. was Catholic and I think did study at Georgetown and stuff like that. Oh, so yeah, the fact too, that he <laughs> had such an understanding of the Catholic idea of everything and the fact that this is basically the movie that all future exorcism movies are based off of. So it could just really be that, that this one was Catholic because the author was Catholic. And since every other movie 
was heavily inspired by this one. They just kept it. Do you think in your mind, let's say... Oh, well, two things okay. I wanted to add. Or yep. I guess one thing. Um, when I was talking about the uh, tap water that wasn't baptized, apparently what I learned in the Catholic Church sometimes that Father was trained, uh, Father Vincent Lampart, he was trained to use other um, ruses mm-hmm. similar to that. Like he'll put his hand on them and he'll have like a precious relic in his hand or something um, kind of to, to determine whether or not it's legitimate, which I mm-hmm. think is interesting. But I was going to ask you, let's say you are in a situation where um, you are in a room for an exorcism mm-hmm. and you actually saw stuff happen. What stuff would you need to see take place to uh, confirm in your mind that it couldn't be explained through any natural means. Um, I don't know. I guess like knowledge of something that I know I've never shared with the person or shared with anybody who would share the person. Like if I knew mm-hmm. something and that like some deep secret that no one who has contact with this person could possibly know and they know that, I would be a little like surprised about it and be like, how do they know this? And then, like, right. some of the, like, body stuff, like, the only thing in the movie that, like, is unbelievable, really, in terms of body is the full head twist. Everything else, like, it would hurt a body, but you could do it and survive. But that, like, head spinning around completely thing would definitely kill a person. So if they did something like that, I'd be like, well, <laughs> I don't, that's literally not possible. But even then, I don't know what my first <laughs> thought would be in terms of what actually is going on. Yeah, because a lot of these uh, types of things that you're supposed to characterize for the characteristics, I feel like could be logically mm-hmm. explained. Um, for example, like the quote-unquote superhuman strength. Like, how do you exactly determine that in a enclosed mm-hmm. location? And again, you know they I mean? even mention that in the movie when Father Karras says something along the lines of like, or maybe some of the doctors says it actually. Where he says, like, the same thing where, like, a mother sees her her child trapped under a car and all of a sudden the car is lifted six inches off the ground. Like, sometimes your body just shuts down and, like, adrenaline pumps and you can do stuff that shouldn't be possible. It's been documented as happening before in extraneous circumstances. Yeah. So, I check off um, superhuman strength to be something that would... That wouldn't convince me. Same thing with blasphemous rage. The other thing with... You with s- you see driving yeah. down the streets and the yeah. car next to you and also like <laughs> if the person was never religious in the same way that like because they say that reagan was never religious blasphemous rage is going to be a bit different because they never held anything sacred in the first place so what they're blaspheming is going to mean less to them than if somebody who was religious was blaspheming you know like if all of a sudden you started you know in a blasphemous rage i would be more concerned than if i was in a blasphemous rage because <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like for yeah, for me it's Tuesday. just like yeah, another day. I don't, you know, I don't <laughs> hold anything sacred in that way. But for you, if you started doing that with something you would hold sacred, I'd be a little concerned. Like, well, that's weird. I, I wouldn't go straight to possession. I'd go to like he had a <laughs> mental break or something. But and sort of going back to the superhuman strength <laughs> yeah, thing. That's fair. Other thing is, a lot of our limits and strength aren't necessarily literally as strong as we can be. This is our limit. It's our mind, like. 
we know if we push harder than this, it will hurt us. So if you're really sick and you have a mental illness, your brain's not necessarily going to tell you that this will hurt and you can do it. Same thing with like, you can bite through your finger as if it's a carrot, but you're never going to because your brain won't let you. But if your brain's not working, it it might let you. It's going to hurt you, but yeah. it'll let you. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, Let's see. Speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. I think, I think tongues is too vague. I think it needs to be the idea of a language that they've never known. Because tongues could just be they made up some yeah. stupid thing and they're just speaking a random made up language. But if they made it up, <laughs> right. like, okay, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, it means something to them, yeah. sure. But, like, there's the whole thing with, like, twins who come up with secret languages between each other. And I don't think they're possessed. Right. But if they all of a sudden started speaking like fluent yeah. German and they'd never known German and they'd never studied German and they never watched a German TV show, they had no way of knowing any German, I'd be like, okay, that's weird. I mean, maybe you studied it in secret. I don't, <laughs> if I don't know them well enough, but. Yeah. So, so I'd have to agree with you. It's basically something that is literally physically impossible, like the spinning the head around 360, or the floating six feet off the bed. I'd be like, okay. Something weird's going on here. (laughs) Or, like, basically like, if they read my mind. Yeah. And even then, Demon probably wouldn't be the first place I'd go, necessarily, or like traditional, like, this is like a demonic position, we need an exorcism type of thing. I I know um, kind of theologically people ask the question to why doesn't God reveal mm-hmm. himself, you know, if he's oh so powerful and mighty and mm-hmm. everything. Why doesn't he just show himself so people would believe in him rather than having to rely completely yeah. on faith? Uh, and an explanation to that that I heard is in God's divinity and understanding by not revealing himself, more people will come to him than if he just showed himself. Mm-hmm. Because it's entirely probable that he does reveal himself and a good chunk of people either still don't believe it or just straight up don't care. Like it's something that I, doesn't inherently yeah, affect them. I could see that. It isn't it's not the strongest argument I've ever heard, but I can it makes sense. Yeah. And I in my mind, I think the same thing could be said about demonic mm-hmm. possessions in general. Because the Catholic Church seems to take the stance that it's a super private thing done on super rare occasions and um, is always secretive and these for the sake of keeping the person's identity a secret and everything mm-hmm. like that. But in my mind, it has me wonder how many people would even believe it if they saw it like would you believe it if you saw i mean a film of it um a film no especially not modern because it's so easy to fake everything nowadays that i i wouldn't believe it i'd have to like see it with my own eyes and even then while i would definitely believe something's going on my first thought definitely wouldn't be like demons like angels demons or real gods real type of thing i'd be like right i don't know what i would think you know but i don't i just don't think that's where i mm-hmm. necessarily go 
I yeah. go like fifth dimensional stuff or something, you know, something that we have a understanding is real, but we don't know anything about it or how to access it or do anything with it. So it's hard to hard to know what you'd your actual reaction would be in that scenario. Yeah. Um, do you have any other questions? That you uh, I think I kind of hit all the hit all the big ones that I had. Yeah, I think I did. Two. Did I even ask you any questions? A couple. I think film related. Yeah, yeah questions. a couple film related ones. And towards the end here, you were asking a couple like, "Would I believe it?" or "What would it take?" type of things. You got you got a few questions in. Right. I'm trying to think if I can think of. Yeah. One. Also. I think last I misspoke earlier. The... I think I said the last exorcism in the United States took place in 1849. I meant to say 1949. Yeah. Oh, okay. And the, like the... That's not as long ago as I initially perceived. No, I mean, that was 10 years before my dad was born, so... <laughs> not that long ago at all, in the grand scheme of things. That was like pre-civil rights movement and stuff. Like pre-MLK and everything. Like, but like barely pre, you know, it was like just as all that stuff was happening or just before all that stuff was happening. Yeah. Or sorry, they were born in 69, not 50. I sorry. It's 1949, not 1959. I think I said 1949. So 20 years before my dad was born. That's a little different. My dad's not that old. (laughs) No, I don't think I have any follow up questions okay then i i we've we've been doing yeah, our ratings yeah. what would you rate this one on a scale of one to ten? Oh, i think it'd be a, a ten. yeah that's where i'd put it too i mean i've seen this movie i don't know 10 times probably and i loved it every time i've watched it and yeah i mean it's overly cl- I'm, is it cliche to call the uh, movie good no because <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a really mm-hmm. good film. Um, and, good atmosphere, like we discussed mm-hmm. at the beginning of the episode. Um, leaves you with questions, gives you some answers, leaves you intrigued at the end of it. Um, some pretty decent theology and thought-provoking mm-hmm. topics. Um, good set pieces and memorable scenes. Yeah, I'd give it a big old 10. Is that the high? I think that's the highest uh, we've done. Yeah, because I think we have silence a sec, seven or a six. I can't remember. Um, and then Cool Hand Luke. I think I gave an eight, and you gave it like a four or something. Yeah. And then I don't think we rated. This is the end because we forgot that episode. <laughs> it's okay. All right. I'm sure James Franco well, will forgive us. I don't know if I want his forgiveness. I think he needs our forgiveness, <laughs> if anything. Well, not even ours, because we're not the victims. <laughs> you know. You know what I mean. So next episode, I'm taking away all your your freedom into making you're, a decision. You're a tyrannical yeah. person? That's what you're saying. Yeah, I'm just going to force a decision for you, because uh, it seems as if this next episode is going to come on December 26th, yes. which is... The day after the celebration for the birth of Christ. So we're going to watch our first gospel uh-huh. film called The Nativity uh-huh. Story. 
I went on this rant with you, but I'm going to do it for the listeners Forgot about out there. So excited. So, so initially, so initially, I had planned for us to watch um, the Christmas special for the Chosen because I like the Chosen. I think it's a really decent show where the actors, um, Jesus, and all of his disciples aren't just kind of walking around like lifeless, lifeless two dimensional creatures that walk around. You know say religious things like and posturing faith or just like going around just saying the quotes from the bible that you know they actually have a little bit of depth yeah like jesus what have you do for me yeah stuff like that so super excited for the the movie um and to my dismay to my horror i paid 30 dollars to sit in a theater with a whole bunch of a lot of Christian denominations have, I don't know if you're familiar with this or you might be, but usually before the, uh, the church session where the pastor is kind of talking about a section or a idea about the Bible. And anyway, at the beginning of everything, they have like, at least to the ones I've been to, they have a worship. So like a concert and I hate that concert music. Mm-hmm. I, I can't enjoy it. So the first hour and a half of this two-hour film was concert. And every time another performer would go on stage, I'd look at my wife <laughs> just wanting the film to start. It seemed like it never did. And then the film itself wasn't wasn't great. Was it? It's pretty disappointing. Was it bad or was it just not as good as they hyped it up to be? Well, there was a whole advertising session where the creators were like eight days to our big announcement, seven days to our big announcement type mm-hmm. thing. And they made the announcement and it was super exciting because you're like, oh, they're going to do the birth of Christ with actors from the show that I enjoy that has good writing, good set pieces and is overall pretty good. And it was just short. I don't think it went into the story into depth because it was like a 20 minute episode. And apparently the theatrical version had stuff that wasn't going to be shown in the uh, streaming. Which was actually just the concert. I yeah, I I don't know what they would cut if they're just cutting from the actual back short. Uh, yeah, because there was nothing to cut. There was there was nothing to cut exactly. It's like trimming the fat off of like a filet mignon. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have much to work with. So we're not doing we're not doing the chosen Christmas special. Instead, we're doing, we're doing the nativity, which stars story. Oscar Isaac as Joseph. Yes, nice. and I've never seen this mm-hmm. film. My wife recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, is this? I know you and a I full length film, or is it another like? Is it short, or is it actually like a full like two hour? Um, if you don't have your head, that's fine. I just wasn't sure because <laughs> I know a lot of like these stories or like the the birth of christ type stories tend to be like 30 45 minutes so they could fit them on on tv a bunch oh you're looking at an hour and 41 minutes oh that's not too bad 
Yeah, it's not awful. I know you're not super excited for this genre eh, film, which is... I, I feel like we get a lot of good conversation out of them. I not necessarily know I enjoy, won't necessarily enjoy watching mm. them, but hey, I get to because I know there's a lot of... Isaac for an hour and a half. So <laughs> I know there's a lot of gospel films that I look at and just roll my eyes so hard that it will fall out of my skull. But hopefully, this won't be one of them. Hopefully, I'm excited to see y'all. In the next episode yeah so we will see you guys in the next episode if you want to follow us on twitter or um, obviously here on spotify google podcasts anchor wherever else this is available uh, i set up a link tree today so that'll if you click that it'll link you to everything so it'll have uh my twitter um xavier's twitter if he wants to put that on there if not then it won't be it'll have the podcast twitter the all the links to where you can watch the podcast or listen to the podcast on all available platforms. So if you are having a hard time listening to it on whatever platform you're using now, there'd be plenty of other options to switch to. And we're always adding more. I'm trying to add Apple right now, but Apple makes it hard to get a podcast onto their platform, but it will be there eventually. So thank you guys for watching. I will see. And we're sorry, real quickly. Is there anywhere that the listeners can comment? Um, as of right now, no. I was going to start uploading them to YouTube, but it just sort of became a pain to like render a video for each episode. Because <laughs> even though it's just a still background, it still takes like 45 to 50 minutes to render an hour long episode. Um, so I don't know. Um, you can send us emails. It's uh, realbeliefpod at gmail.com. You can send us an email and we'll answer any questions or maybe we'll start like reading one out yeah. on the podcast or something like that. Or if you uh, yeah, tweet was... at us, which is just at Real Belief, uh, at Real Belief Pod, if you just tweet at us, we can read them there. As far as like a direct comment on an episode, I don't think there is. I was going to issue to the listeners, so hopefully, if you're going to ask a someone, question, I if... can on Spotify or on Anchor and Spotify, I can post a question. No, I was going to issue a request. Ah. Actually, I was going to say any listeners out there who listen to this entire podcast, or at least this section, comment on a film, and we may watch it because it'd be nice to have some engagement and not just be shouting into the void. <laughs> yeah. The so void. if you have any recommendations, yeah, shoot us an email or tweet at us, um, and then do anything. If if we see your comment, we'll probably do it. Yeah. Because I may even be able to put on each episode like what is a movie you'd like to see in the future and then it may just be like a type your own answer type of thing so i may be able to even put those on the podcast and see yeah we'll put some feelers out there see if anyone else has any ideas i don't know if we've explicitly said it but the first six or seven episodes or whatever we were going one from each genre once we get through the last one which i guess now the last one will be drama unless i'm missing one um then we'll start kind of just doing whatever we feel like so it won't be We've done one of each genre. Now we have to go through one of each genre again. It'll be a, eh, I did a horror last week. I want to do a comedy and then maybe a, maybe another horror after that, you know, just kind of whatever we're in the mood for or whatever. If there's like a new release or a thematic release or something like that, we'll just kind of hop and be a little less strict with our genres. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, we will. And we'll see you for the next episode. Yep. Have a happy holidays. Goodbye.